Please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. We are in the middle of a, a short series that uh, goes along with our Sunday school class, and uh, we're calling the, the sermon series, How God Changes Us. And so we looked last week on kind of an overview of the process of change from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, particularly verse 18. And this week we're looking at the, 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 the place where change happens uh, in the heart in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. And we'll look at lots of other passages as well along the way. Uh, before I read that, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your son. Uh, again, as we just sang about him and his love and Father, we pray that you would continually open our eyes and ears and minds and hearts to who he is and what he has done, that we might draw near to you, our Father, through the work of your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would come and meet with us now to those ends. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. <clears throat> For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I'm going to start out with a confession. I don't understand the human heart. Don't get me wrong. I've studied it. I've read books about it. I've listened to sermons on the topic. I've talked to others about their hearts. And of course, I've got one. Uh, I've prayed about my own heart. I've peered into the, the deep, dark well, as Proverbs talks about it. I've talked about my heart with Deborah, with close friends, with paid counselors. And my conclusion is there is so much about the heart that is a mystery. Maybe you feel as I do and how things work inside of us, in our soul, in our spirit, in our heart is mysterious and confusing. Well, as mysterious as it is, uh, we are going to start through uh, that we are going to dive into that this morning. And we're going to start uh, by looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. Uh, this morning's sermon is, is going to follow a, a kind of common Puritan outline for sermons. We're going we're gonna to look at the text, we're going to find a, a principle in that text. We're going to spend the rest of the time combing the scriptures as a whole to understand that principle more fully. So we're going to start with Luke 6, but we're going to, we're going to move around uh, as we go. Uh, well, since, since it's so short, uh, Luke 6, let me, let me read it again. Luke 6, 43 to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. 
For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, in some ways, uh, this passage in, in Luke 6 is really a straightforward text. Uh, Jesus gives us two illustrations, an explanation followed by an application. Uh, first, the, the first illustration is in verse 43. He talks about no good tree bearing a bad fruit, no bad tree bearing a good fruit. Uh, the fruit that the tree produces tells you something about the tree. It's consistent with the nature of the tree. The second illustration is in verse 44, that figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor grapes from a bramble bush. Each tree produces a fruit consistent with its own nature. And these illustrations are obvious, which is what makes them powerful. And then when Jesus gets to the explanation in verse 45, that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, right? the, the tree, he's saying, is the human heart. The fruit is the outward manifestation of that in our actions, in our attitudes, in our words, whether they are good, whether they are evil. Now, we often talk about this as root and fruit, right? If you have apple roots, you produce apple fruits. Uh, as the sap moves up the roots into the trunk, out onto the branches, it doesn't mysteriously change into some other kind of fruit. Apple roots mean apple fruits. And then Jesus' application at the end of verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And if all of that is true, right, then, then where do your words come from? Your words come from your heart. When you say something, whatever it is, whether well thought out or off the cuff, those words are rooted in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, oftentimes when we get angry, uh, we say mean things that we regret. And later we say something like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. And yet, if what Jesus is saying is true, actually you did mean that. That's why you said it. Uh, deep in your heart, you believed it was true, and so it came out. You might more accurately have said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean for that to come out. Or better, I'm sorry, it was wrong of me to think that about you. But whatever the case, on some level, you meant it because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so here's the, the principle from the text is fairly straightforward, and it's that the heart determines our behavior. The heart determines our behavior. As the, as the type of tree determines the type of fruit, so the heart determines behavior. Now, all kinds of things may influence the fruit of a tree. Soil conditions, weather patterns, kids climbing in the branches, worms eating at the roots. But none of those things can cause an apple tree to produce oranges. The type of tree determines the type of fruit, and so the heart determines the behavior. Now, keeping that principle in mind, we're going to look at five questions about the heart. What is the heart? What does it do? How does it guide behavior? How has it gone wrong? And how can it change? What is the heart? 
What does it do? How does it guide behavior? How has it gone wrong? And how can it change? So first, what is the heart? Uh, maybe, maybe you've never thought about that before. I mean, thinking about the heart to some just seems impractical. Uh, we've got work to do, right? The Bible gives us commands to obey. Why waste time navel-gazing? As some see it, talking of the heart is just a way of finding excuses for disobedience. I, I didn't want to do it. It didn't, it didn't feel right to me. Why waste time thinking about the heart when we could spend time doing what is right? And the heart is mysterious after all. It's not easy to understand. Uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, uh, we're told the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If the heart is so mysterious, why bother trying to understand it? Is it just a waste of time to talk about the heart? Well, while the heart is mysterious, it's not completely unknowable. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. It's hard to get there, but it's not quite inaccessible. And as we read through scriptures, we find the heart is important. Uh, just listen to a couple of verses about the importance of the heart uh, and different aspects of it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. It's after God gave the law on Mount Sinai. The people uh, are, are down there terrified of what they have seen. And God says this, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. Or Proverbs 4, verse 23, we read it earlier. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And the springs of life come out of the heart. Now you have to understand, well, or ask the question, well, what are the springs of life? But the, the point is, right, the issues of life, the, the things of life flow out of the heart. Proverbs 24, later on, Proverbs 24, 11 to 12, uh, God says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Now, by the way, this is just one of the, the many places in Scripture where you see that the heart and the soul are synonyms. Right, as, as they are many, many places in Scripture, both talking about the inner person. Uh, Ezekiel, we could turn to the prophets. Ezekiel chapter 36 uh, says, I will give you, this is God promising uh, in the new covenant what's going to come. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And we could multiply verses almost without end that talk about the heart and show how important it is. And did you notice, actually, in every one of those verses and dozens more, uh, the heart is connected to our behavior, connected to obeying God's rules, connected to keeping his commandments, connected to doing what is right. And why is that? It's because the heart determines behavior. So what is it? What, what is it then? What is the heart? Well, at its most basic, the heart is the, the core of who you are. 
the heart is who you are in your inmost being. Now, uh, lots of people miss this or fall short of this in their understanding of the heart. Uh, when people talk about sharing their hearts, what they often mean is sharing their feelings or sharing their desires. And that's good, but it doesn't go far enough. Or, or worse, sometimes people simply mean sharing their past experiences, particularly past hurts. People think that when they've shared their feelings or shared their past hurts, they've shared their hearts. And, and maybe they have skimmed the surface, surface of their heart, but they haven't actually gotten to the heart. Uh, others, when they think of the heart, they think of an empty cup, uh, a cup that must be filled up by others, an empty love tank. And I need you to fill my love tank, to fill my heart. Now, the problem with thinking of the heart, primarily in terms of past experiences or as an empty love tank, is that these, these are passive images, but we are not passive in the world. And the heart, as we will see, is certainly not passive either. It is active. It is doing things. And so what then is the heart? Again, at, at, its, at its most basic, the heart is the inmost core of a person, the, the core of who you are, not what people have done to you. That the core of who you are, not what people can do for you. The heart is fundamentally active, the dynamic center of who you are, the, the control center of an individual, as it were. Remember, the heart determines behavior. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is the heart? The heart is that the active core of who you are, the, the inner you right, that drives your words, your attitudes, your actions, which really leads us to the next two questions then. What, what does the heart do? And how does it guide behavior? So second, what does the heart do? What does it do? Well, fundamentally, we were created to love. Uh, that's not my inner hippie coming out, right? That, this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, the two great commandments are to love God and love your neighbor. And we love because God first loved us. And so fundamentally, we were created to love and to be loved. We can break that down into three parts, as it were, to know and be known, to enjoy and be enjoyed, to serve and be served. Those are just aspects of love. Those three aspects of love flow out of the three faculties of the heart. You see, the, the heart is multidimensional. Uh, it has height and depth and width, as it were. It has an X and a Y and a Z axis, right? As theologians have historically put it, the heart has three faculties, the intellect, the affections, and the will. The heart thinks, the heart feels, the heart chooses. And really, you just go through Scripture and look at what the heart does or what is found in the heart, and you'll see this. Most of the time, it will come back to one of these three things. And so uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, uh, we're told Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? That's where our thoughts come from, our our heart, according to scripture. Or in John 16, at one point, Jesus says, sorrow has filled your heart. Then he says later, but your hearts will rejoice. Right? Sorrow has filled your heart, but your hearts will rejoice, right? Our hearts feel, our hearts emote. Peter rebukes Ananias in Acts chapter 5, saying, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? Right? Why did you plan and choose this in your heart? Our, ha our hearts are willing, choosing agents. Now, these three things are, are not actually necessarily different things, uh, so much as three different perspectives on the one heart. 
The heart discerns what is true, and so it has certain beliefs. It, the heart evaluates what is beautiful, and so it has certain values. The heart chooses what is worthy of our time and attention, and so it has certain commitments. But again, we shouldn't divide them from one another. Uh, a commitment is just a belief about what is truly valuable. Uh, a value is a belief about what is worthy of our commitment, and a belief is a commitment to something we have has evaluated as true. Uh, I, I don't want to lose you there, but the, the point is all three things uh, are interwoven with one another. What does the heart do? It does these three things. On the one hand, it, it believes and interprets, leading to certain patterns of thinking. It values and desires, leading to certain patterns of feeling. And it commits and chooses, leading to certain patterns of action. The heart is active. Now, if the heart is thinking and evaluating and choosing, you can see why the heart determines behavior. Out of the abundance of the heart, with its thinking, evaluating, choosing activity, the mouth speaks. Now, there's one more thing that I need to say at this point, and it's probably one of the most important things I'll say about the heart, right? If the heart is this discerning, evaluating, deciding machine, as it were, then the heart is like a compass. Uh, it's telling us what is true and what is valuable and what is worthy of our commitment. The heart is, is meant to give us true north. Of course, it doesn't always do that, but it's meant to do that. But the, the heart is like a compass. If you've ever seen uh, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, you may remember that, that Captain Jack Sparrow had a special compass uh, that pointed you to what your heart most desired. And really, that's just what the heart itself is meant to do. It points us to what ultimately is true and beautiful and good, and so should be the desire of our hearts. My heart points me to something, and then it, it clings to that something. It holds on to that something. Uh, sometimes we say that something has a hold of my heart, but we, we talk as if our hearts are held captive by beauty or entranced by what is amazing. But we must not forget that the heart is active in that. It is what my heart evaluates as most true, beautiful, and good that will capture my heart. Our hearts were created to direct us and so be captivated by the glory of God. Our hearts are our glory meters. And when we look deep down, there's always some glory that has captured our hearts. We've, we've seen it as true and good and beautiful, and so it has captivated us. That may be the glory of our reputation. It may be the glory of food or sex or alcohol. It may be the glory of family or sports or music. It may be the glory of work or recreation or entertainment. Or it may be the glory of the gospel and the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now, none of those things that I've listed are bad things, but only God and his glory and his gospel are worthy of the ultimate devotion of our hearts. Some glory will have our hearts. That The needle points somewhere, either upward toward God or outward toward his creation. And so what is the heart? It's the, the active inner core of who you are. What does it do? It, it, it is this multidimensional instrument directing us to what is true and good and beautiful. It's a, a glory meter discerning, delighting, and deciding for some glory over another, whether the glory of God or the glory of created things. So the next two questions, then, they just, they just go deeper into that. Uh, so how does it do that? How does it guide behavior? 
Remember, the heart is, is active, interpreting, evaluating, and then choosing one path or another. As Jesus says, the heart determines our behavior. I don't want to belittle uh, other influences, right? Your past experiences do uh, influence your present actions, your family influences, your behavior, your biology, your circumstances, your boss at work, your annoying brother, your bothersome neighbor, your loving spouse, all these influence your decisions. These things are influential, but not determinative. Our hearts respond to all of these things. That's why one person uh, can respond in a certain way to a tragedy, and another person responds completely differently. One person rails against God for their trouble. They, they despair of things ever getting better. Uh, they, they would rather end their life than face one more day. Another person facing the same tragedy maintains hope and even joy, believing that God is at work for their good, even in the midst of their trouble. What makes the difference? Their circumstances may be identical, but their hearts are not. Again, the, the weather, the, the soil, and the circumstances of any given tree are influential on the fruit that is born, but the nature of the tree itself determines what kinds of fruit it will bear. And so our circumstances are influential, but our heart is ultimately determinative. Now, Paul Tripp uh, used to regularly say, people don't respond to life based on the facts of their experience, but based on their interpretation of those facts. And so what you believe shapes your interpretive process and so shapes your thinking at this given moment. What you value uh, shapes what you desire, which shapes how you feel in this given moment. Uh, what you believe and value, of course, shape your loyalties, which will shape how you act in any given moment. You don't respond to life based on the facts alone, but based on your interpretation and evaluation of those facts which means what you believe in and what you value above all else and whatever is your core commitment, whatever, whatever the compass of your heart points toward, that will control your heart. Again, uh, as Tripp puts it, he, he says, whatever has a hold of your heart exercises inescapable influence. Again, that, that's kind of passive language, and so we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't lo lose the fact or miss the fact that the heart is the thing that has evaluated that thing as true and good and beautiful in the first place, giving it that influence. You might wonder, well, how? How does that work? I mean, I'm not at every moment consciously considering whatever I believe to be true and what I, what I value and desire and what I have pledged my loyalty to. I'm just acting, right? I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm just emoting, I'm just choosing, I'm just speaking. Sometimes, sadly, without a second's worth of thought, so how does that work, right? How does everything that's going on in the heart then produce these actions and attitudes and words? And, and the answer is that the heart does work under the radar. Uh, more often than not, the heart directs us below the radar intuitively. Uh, one author, Jeremy Pierre, puts it this way in, in a book called The Dynamic Heart in Daily Life. He says, intuitive responses are the active emanations of a dynamic heart. A country boy feels fear as the hooded figure in the city approaches, not necessarily because cities are more dangerous, but because he has certain presuppositions about city life, perhaps ingrained in him through movies or TV news. The hipster dis dismissing the overburdened mom may be operating out of a value system that pits children against the finer things in life. 
The teenager, annoyed with her mom's call, is showing what she believes about her mom as well as what she wants from her. The seemingly automatic responses that characterize people's daily experience flow from the dynamic functions of the heart. As people grow in self-awareness, they begin to understand how their beliefs, desires, and commitments result in their knee-jerk responses to life. And the, the only point that I want to make at this point is this, our hearts work under the radar below, behind the scenes, right? Our, our beliefs act as a knee-jerk interpretive grid when we see a group of people having a good time at a bar. Our values and desires immediately cause us to feel a certain way when we hear about mask mandates and social distancing. Our underlying commitments and loyalties cause us to act in certain ways and not others when we see someone we love threatened. So we have surface thoughts and feelings and choices, but underneath the heart has these beliefs and values and commitments that flow out of whatever it finds to be most true and beautiful and good in the world. So what is the heart? It's this active inner core of who you are. What does it do? It, it is this multidimensional instrument of sorts, a glory meter directing us to what is true and good and beautiful. How does it guide behavior? Well, while, while circumstances exercise influence, the heart directs behavior under the radar as our beliefs and values and commitments play themselves out, uh, sometimes in an instant, whether in a flash of anger or in a moment of compassion. So that brings us then to the fourth question, what, what has gone wrong or how has it gone wrong? What's wrong with our hearts? Now, in some ways, I, I probably don't need to spend a lot of time here because of all that we've already said. What is wrong with our hearts is they have become misoriented. Uh, you see this from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. The woman being deceived by the serpent in Genesis 3.6 saw that the tree was good for food. Now, that was a mistaken belief. And it was a delight to the eyes. That was an irrelevant value judgment. Uh, and that the tree was to be desired to make one, one wise, a desire that flowed out of her false beliefs about the tree. So she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That was an act that betrayed a commitment, not to God, but to her own good over God's glory. That is her good at the cost of disobedience. What was happening there? Well, her heart, rather than being oriented to the glory of God, had become misoriented toward created things. Her glory and her good from the world's, found in the world's goods. What goes wrong with our hearts is they get misdirected, misoriented away from God and toward created things. Things that may be good in and of themselves, but, but become distorted as our heart clings to them. The compass is broken. Right? We believe lies. We delight in what is ugly. We call uh, good evil and evil good. We do not believe that the good is good, and we do not uh, choose. We do not do. Uh, we do not choose the good when we have the chance. Uh, note right that that our hearts uh, do not have to be oriented again towards bad things, just toward good things instead of God, the giver of every good gift. If we do not see God as supremely true and beautiful and good, then our hearts will be misoriented, misdirected, away from the creator and toward created things. The problem is created things were never meant to satisfy our hearts. 
And this is, this is where that, that, the love tank theory has a grain of truth in it, right? Our hearts, our intellect, our affections, our will are like an appetite. We want to feed on truth and beauty and goodness, but no created truth, no created beauty, no created goodness will satisfy. Our hearts were made to feed on something infinite, something inexhaustible, something solid and weighty and eternal, something glorious. And yet we constantly feed ourselves on the wisdom of this age or the beauty of this age or the good of this age, but it never seems to satisfy. We are always left with hungry hearts. So what is the heart? It's this active inner core of who you are. Uh, it, what does it do? It, it's this multidimensional instrument, this glory meter directing us to what is true and good and beautiful. How does it guide behavior? While circumstances exercise influence, the heart directs behavior under the radar as our beliefs and values and commitments play themselves out uh, sometimes in the moment. How has it gone wrong? Our hearts have become misoriented toward created things rather than the creator. So then that brings us to the last question, how can it change? How do we change? How do we change our thinking, our attitudes, our actions, which of course means how do we change our hearts? Again, Jeremy Pierre uh, talked about this in uh, the book I mentioned a moment ago. He said, uh, when counselors recognize this trajectory of intuition, that, that the heart works below the surface, behind the scenes, they can appeal to people to take responsibility for their responses in a wise and understanding way. I have attempted, he says, to hold two truths in tension regarding the way the human heart works. On the one hand, change is not a simple choice in terms of conscious, discrete decisions in a given moment. When you become angry, just choose not to be. Uh, when you become, uh, when you're depressed, just choose happiness. When you feel desire for something unhealthy and sinful, just choose not to want it. He says, such advice ignores the complexity of human experience. On the other hand, change is a choice. Not only can people choose to do the right thing in a given moment, despite what they are naturally experiencing, but they can also use the opportunity to look inwardly to seek better understanding of the deeper dynamics that lead to that, that led to that particular spontaneous response. In other words, people are stewards, not just of their immediate response, but of their heart conditions that led to those responses. And you see, his point is this, just telling someone to feel different or want different in the moment uh, is fruitless and simplistic, but that doesn't mean people are helpless. One, they can obey despite their feelings, but two, they can nurture and nourish their hearts, right? You, using the tree imagery in a slightly different way than Jesus does, we can, we can never make something grow but we can give it good soil. We can water it regularly. We can expose it to the sun. We can keep away harmful pests and so on. We can steward the conditions of our hearts, planting and feeding and watering and nurturing. Now, as true as that is, it's also insufficient. We can't end there. Uh, that, that, that leaves me ultimately in control and capable of transforming my own heart as if it's all up to me to, to steward and shape this thing called my heart. And it doesn't really even tell me how to do that. And so I need to say a few more things, things about Christ and the spirit and the gospel. Our hearts have become misoriented toward created things. That is, that is ultimately a, a deadly orientation. 
This age cannot give me life. And by turning from God, I have turned from the only one who can. Uh, to be oriented toward this age is to be oriented toward death because this age is passing away. But Jesus entered into this age. He took on human skin and human experience. He always lived for the Father. He knew the Father. He delighted in the Father. He served the Father. And he faced death. Death as punishment for our sin. Death as the trajectory of the present age. He bore our punishment on the cross. He died and was buried. Of course, that's not all. As a reward of his obedience, he was given life, life eternal, and life in the Spirit. And he was given the, the fullness of the Spirit, whom he has now poured out on his church, on all who believe in Jesus, so that we might have life, life in him, life eternal, life in his Spirit. And this is the fulfillment of the Ezekiel passage that we've heard multiple times, uh, that God has given us a new heart and put a new spirit within us. And so now by the spirit, our, our compass has been fixed, as it were. We can begin to look to our father, to know him, to enjoy him, to serve him, not in our strength, not because we have tended our hearts in our own strength, but because God is at work in us by his spirit. And he can and will and is progressively changing us if we believe in Christ. How does the Spirit do that? How does the Spirit uh, change our hearts? The Spirit does that by allowing us to see Jesus in all of his truth and beauty and goodness. Uh, how does the Spirit change us? By enabling us to see what is most true, what is most beautiful, what is most good. If we are thinking lies, we, we need to see the truth. If we are desiring what is ugly, we need to see true beauty. If, if we are choosing wickedness, we need to see goodness, all of which means we need to see Jesus. Now, if that seems uh, simplistic, I get it, but just note two things. It's the Spirit's work in opening our eyes to see Jesus. And second, it, hearts must be wooed. Right? That, that's the way hearts work. They, they are wooed to things. And so we must feed our hearts on what is true and beautiful and good. But make no mistake, it's the Spirit who then enables us to see and who works the transformation. And think about it, right? If all we do is see Jesus, we will reject him. Uh, think about Jesus from the perspective of this age. Jesus is neither true nor beautiful nor good from the perspective of the flesh. First uh, Corinthians 1.18 says, the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right? The, the word of the cross is folly. A crucified Messiah, what good is that? First Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If we are to see the truth of Jesus, the spirit must show us the wisdom of God and the folly of the cross. The wisdom that life might come out of death, that our forgiveness might come out of Christ's punishment. Or consider what Isaiah says of Jesus. In Isaiah 53, he says of Jesus that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was broken and bloodied on the cross. He was rejected, shamed, and mocked. What, what beauty is, in, is there in that? If we are to see the beauty of Jesus, the Spirit must show us Christ's beauty in Christ's brokenness. The beauty of the cross, an ugly instrument of torture and death, which has become the, the love song of Christ for his people. 
Or consider the words of uh, the two disciples, two of Jesus' disciples. After the crucifixion, they lamented that Jesus was delivered up. He was condemned. He was crucified. But they had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. What good is a crucified Messiah? What, what good is a dead Savior? What good can come out of the horror of Jesus' mistrial, mocking, and death? The Spirit must show us that good. He must show us that good in the resurrection where we see Jesus' truth vindicated, his, his glory in fullness, and the good that he has brought into the world. If you want your heart changed, feed yourself on Jesus and pray for the Spirit to use that to reorient your heart to what is really true and beautiful and good. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we do pray that you would work in us by your Spirit as we look to Jesus. We pray that your spirit would open our eyes to see him who is true, who is beauty, and who is goodness. We pray that as we look to Jesus, our hearts would be changed and transformed, that we would cling to him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.